everybody. Welcome to Utterly Astounded, where eschatology meets current events meets real life. At least my regular real life at home here in Southern California. On today's episode, I want to talk about how hysteria over climate change and global warming fit into the godlessness of the last days. And I also want to talk about animals as they relate to Revelation 6-8. There are some interesting things there, a little of how they overlap with the global warming worldview. So remember on the show, I'm always looking at what's happening in our current events and how those puzzle pieces fit together to bring about the prophecies of the last days. So they're back. The administration that wants to spend lots of money on trying to stop entropy. The second law of thermodynamics. All things are winding down, and that includes the planet. Everything is winding down, including the Earth, including us. We all get old and weary. So here is the definition from Webster's on entropy. The degradation of the matter and energy in the universe to an ultimate state of inert uniformity. Or entropy is the general trend of the universe toward death and disorder. There's a definition for you. So the new administration wants to spend lots of taxpayers' money to keep the Earth's temperature from rising, or some such, and many other things as well, in that whole sphere. But a true climate scientist would say that zero emissions tomorrow, even if we did that, will still put us into the Stone Age for the amount of global warming that would be saved by going to zero emissions tomorrow would be something like 0.14, that's 14 hundredths of a degree Celsius. So true climate scientists talk about this, that the earth goes through warming and cooling cycles, and it has throughout thousands of years. So even though the latest soundbite of the day is that the planet is going to dissolve in 12 years if we don't abide the Green New Deal, true climate scientists would not tell you that. They would tell you that the amount that we could do right now, even if we started, would make almost no difference. And certainly the cost-benefit analysis would not be worth it. Now, I'm not being unreasonable. There needs to be regulation of some sort to curtail pollution and harmful toxins. Of course, we care about our planet and our living environment. But climate change has become a religion. And if you don't buy the party line, well, they have words for us, those of us who don't buy the party line. But let me begin with a story from 1978. I used to watch two shows every week, The Donnie and Marie Show and In Search Of. So I'd watch Donnie and Marie, and I I would imagine all the career paths open to me, like being a professional ice skater, although I was nearing six feet tall by the time I was 12, so that dream had to kind of die quickly because there's not that many six-foot female ice skaters. Or I could be a comedian, or I could be a costume designer. 
But I had to abandon those thoughts when I watched In Search Of, because then I was told of all of the different mysteries of the planet that were destined to kill me and that I wasn't going to make it to my 15th birthday. So I led a very schizophrenic life in the late 70s. I'd watch Donnie and Marie and all the great entertaining paths that I could take, especially if whatever I did could be done in a red satin jumpsuit trimmed with fringe and sequins like Marie Osmond. Whatever was wrong in the world could be made right if I could just have one of those. So I'd watch that, but then I'd watch In Search Of, and I thought, who needs a plan for a future? What if I get sucked into the Bermuda Triangle, never to be heard from again? What if the aliens get me? What about the black holes? Now, keep in mind that the narrator for In Search Of was Leonard Nimoy, who could make anything sound ominous. Just his voice could send me reeling. And there was this one episode, and you can still see it on YouTube, there's a clip of it, but it was called The Coming Ice Age. And he talked about one desperate night in Buffalo, New York, when eight people froze to death, and that it was the worst winter of the century. And then he went on to say, climate experts believe in the next ice age, that's on its way, it's closer than anyone thinks, and that the temperatures in the Northern Hemisphere have been dropping steadily for 30 years and within our grandchildren's time. All the inhabitable places of the Earth will be polar deserts. Data shows, he said, there's consensus among the scientists. Now, if you've never heard this Michael Crichton quote, it's a very famous one, and it's worth a listen. He says, I regard consensus science as an extremely pernicious development that ought to be stopped cold in its tracks. Historically, the claim of consensus has been the first refuge of scoundrels. It is a way to avoid debate by claiming that the matter is already settled. Whenever you hear the consensus of scientists agrees on something or other, reach for your wallet because you're being had. There is no such thing as consensus science. If it's consensus, it isn't science. If it's science, it isn't consensus, period. And my scientist husband would agree with that. So I I watched the whole show and then I got hysterical and I went running around the kitchen and I was telling my mother that we were going to be extinct because we were going to freeze to death under an ice block, so says the scientific data. And she looked at me, she was standing at the counter, and she had a grilled cheese going in the electric skillet, and she flipped it. And she said, did you hear that on television? And of course, (laughs) yes, mother, I heard it on television. Well, you take whatever you hear on television with a grain of salt. After all, it's on television. And you know what? That same advice would serve all of us well if we listen to it now today because it's com- it was completely true then and it's completely true now. And so she said, now you just eat your lunch and go roller skating. My mother's good old-fashioned common sense was very well received at that moment and it should be in the future because I did. I ate my lunch and I went roller skating and here I am 43 years later. No ice age, nobody's dead underneath an ice block. I think about Greta Thunberg, the climate change teenager. Actually, she's 18 now, so she's an adult. But I read an article quoting things from her father that make it sound like these parents are quite literally bowing down to their kid. Whatever Greta wants, Greta gets. 
What teenager doesn't want to get famous and make money by spewing anger out and telling their parents what to do and the world what to do? According to the article, her mom doesn't travel by air anymore and her father has become a vegan. Mr. Thunberg said Greta has changed and become very happy as a result of her activism. Well, I'd be happy too if I was sailing around the world in a yacht in, on someone else's dime and had my parents wrapped around my finger, idolizing me and giving me whatever I wanted. I thought about this the other day. Didn't these people watch Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? I thought every parent watched that movie, and if they didn't, they should have. And not the newest one. That's terrible, but the one from 1971. You were supposed to watch that, and you were supposed to turn to one another before you had children, and you were supposed to say, we're never going to raise those kinds of kids. We're never going to raise a Violet Beauregard or a Mike TV or Horror of Horrors. We're never going to raise a Veruca Salt. We're never going to spoil our kids so that they become a menace to society. Maybe her parents never watched it, but Veruca Salt and Greta, they actually kind of look alike and they definitely sound alike. If you listen to Veruca's song when she says, I want the world, I want the whole world, I want to lock it all up in my pocket, it's my bar of chocolate. I want today, I want tomorrow. Yes, well, don't we all? But then we were taught by our parents that life doesn't work that way. But it's that same attitude, thinking you have control over today and tomorrow, that there's no transcendent power holding all of this together. But scientifically, there has to be. If you know anything about physical constants, something has to be holding this place together. And there is, there's a someone, and that is Jesus Christ, who holds all things together. If my mother, however, would have realized that my histrionics that evening when I watched In Search Of could have gotten me nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize yacht sailing around the world in the cover of Time magazine like Greta, maybe she would have handled my outburst differently. But you know what? No, I know what she would have said. Before you go out and try to change the world, maybe you should start by cleaning your room. That's what my mom would have said to me. Speaking of your room and concern for the environment, what is that foul stench coming out of your closet and wafting into the environment? Oh, that is the half-eaten bowl of cereal that's been sitting there congealing for two weeks because you're too lazy to bring it to the kitchen. That's what teenagers do. That's what young people do. Greta Thunberg is talking about saving humankind, but she probably can't keep her room clean. That's just a theory. Now again, we want to be good stewards of the earth and we want to take care of what God has given us. It's not about that because of course that needs to be true of us as Christians, but there is an incredible pride of mankind to think that we have so much control over the universe. The law of gravity, for instance, which holds the world together, operates independently of us. Greta Thunberg is running amok saying people's treatment of the planet is destroying her future, but she can't keep her own heart beating. She has no control over the span of her life. She could be dead at 25, God forbid, not from global warming, but cancer or a car accident. Not one person is promised tomorrow or even their next breath. And that's where all of these people go woefully wrong because there's complete disregard for God as creator which is part of the godlessness of the last days. God's response to Job, when he is questioning, God says, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? 
Do you have something to do with the mountain goat giving birth, or the eagle making its nest on high? Have you given the horse its strength? Does the hawk fly by your wisdom? Who has put wisdom in the mind, or who has given understanding to the heart? So God is the one who is keeping the planet going and keeping us going. God is sovereign. He is sovereign in control of every drop of rain and every weather pattern. Jeremiah ten thirteen says, When he utters his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens, and he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightnings for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasuries. And I think it's interesting that an evolutionist would say that we evolved from lower life forms dismissing God. But it's funny that according to Job, the lower life forms are more evolved than the evolutionist. Listen to Job 12, 7 through 9. But now ask the beasts and let them teach you and the birds of the heavens and let them tell you or speak to the earth and let it teach you and let the fish of the sea declare to you. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? So the beasts know, the fish know, the earth knows, it's man that seems to be confused. And I don't care how many marches or climate change protests you have, you cannot stop earthquakes or tsunamis or floods or hurricanes. You never have been able to and you never will. The best you can do is warn people that they're going to happen, but you can't stop them. There will be disasters. There will, there will be catastrophic things that happen. And I think one of the things that happens here is that the godless people or a godless worldview forget that this planet was cursed in the fall in Genesis 3. The ground and everything was tainted by the fall of man. In Romans 8, the creation was subjected to futility. It talks about that in verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. So everything in the physical universe is longing for transformation, to be released from the curse and its effects. But it's God's world. It's his planet. It's waiting for him to do the releasing. It's calling to him to do that. So there's beautiful things about God's planet, but because of the curse, it's a hostile world. Sin, destruction, disease, decay, death, that tide of corruption is going to continue. The Sahara Desert is not a cozy place. The middle of the Indian Ocean is not a forgiving place. And only God can and he will restore the earth to its perfection. But that won't happen until Jesus, the creator, comes back. So it's great if we, as inhabitants of the earth, want to lower pollution and clean up our trash, reduce, reuse, and recycle. And you want to keep plastic out of the ocean. That's great. But we have a whole lot of people worshiping the creation instead of the creator. And Paul talks about that in Romans 1. So not only worshiping nature... But he also talks about how they worship birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. So the eagle was worshipped in Rome, and the stork and the hawk were worshipped in Egypt. And the Israelites even worshipped a golden calf. And that kind of worship still persists, either with real animals or in statue form. We know, for instance, that 
Modern Hindus refuse to kill or harm most animals or even insects because they could be reincarnated humans. So how might that play out specifically as it relates to a verse that I think about and I wonder about speaking of animals? So let's talk about that a little bit. It says in Revelation 6, 8, I looked and behold an ashen horse and he who sat on it had the name death and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to him over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. So these are questions I wonder about. War, famine, and pestilence. We're familiar with that. I can see some of that. Of course, we've seen that throughout history, and I can see it today, even with uh, coronavirus. Just for instance, again, I've talked about that before as being a little bit of a foreshadowing, but we understand war and famine and pestilence. But what about the beasts of the earth? That remark has always been a curious one for me because most animals are subdued by man, or they used to be until the rise in animal rights, where it's become so backward that you can spend more time in jail for killing your pet than you can for killing your spouse. But I've wondered how this might play out. Rats, of course, has always been a possibility. And interestingly, Paris officials estimated that in Paris, the city's rat population has reached 8 million. And since There are only about 2 million people who make their homes in Paris proper. That means that there are about four rats for every Parisian. That doesn't sound like a good percentage. But the phrase in this scripture is beast. And in the Greek, from what I can tell, it means wild animal, savage, and ferocious. So that's really interesting because when we think about it, what do we see in the animal planet that could do that these days? And typically the same folks, and I'm not making generalities, I'm just saying that I see this often, that say that we're on track to die soon from global warming are often preservationists and animal rights activists, oftentimes. That's a package deal. Not all the time. I'm just saying that oftentimes that goes together. And just to dial it in, there is a difference between being a conservationist and a preservationist. So a conservationist wants the sustainable use and management of natural resources, both renewable and non-renewable, use and management, not destruction, but responsible. That makes sense. So preservation wants to keep areas of the earth untouched by humans. And I'm a big fan of natural parks, etc., and the beauty of God's earth. But there has to be a, a responsible way to manage what God has given us without leaving it untouched. So how does this fit together with the beasts of the earth running amok? If we have no hunting, and this is interesting that's happening currently, is that even if an animal is on the endangered species list and then is removed because the population is back on point, they fight in the court to keep hunters from hunting, even though as God designed it, hunting is part of what keeps the population in check. It's a very humane way to keep the balance. So all these people that are pushing to be vegan or to stop agricultural farming because of what it's doing to the climate, they're forgetting the agricultural farms because what's going to happen to those people that do this for a living? And 
what about the animals? What are you going to do? Cut the wires and the fences and let them wander free and then not allow hunting to happen, even though, again, that's that's a God-ordained way to keep the population down. It's back to worshiping the creation and not the creator. Everything gets turned upside down and inverted. And if you missed these headlines a while back, this was in 2019, There was a woman who bled to death due to a feral hog assault in Texas, and she was a home health care worker. She was visiting an elderly couple. She got out of her car and was attacked. Now, apparently, a sow can conceive her first litter at three months old and keep doing so twice a year, producing five to six offspring, but sometimes as many as 12 at a time. So, and I'm quoting from this article, there's not another animal that can put little feet on the ground quicker than a wild pig. And there's no such thing as a pig-proof fence. And I have heard about this besides just this article that in Texas, this kind of thing is exploding, all of which makes wild pigs an invasive species that is both remarkably destructive and extremely difficult to control. And even some people have tried to raise them and said that they're easier to paper train than puppies and at least as smart as dogs. And this one person kept them until they were so big they were turning over furniture and somebody let a sow live on the couch and fed it donuts until it couldn't contain it anymore. So (laughs) not going to comment on the lack of sense there, but there you go. But in the wild, they're multiplying into the millions, kill three quarters of them, and they will restore their full population within three years. So here's the practical advice for the common man. Are you ready? If they start coming at you, look for something to climb upon, like the trunk or roof of your car. Otherwise, the pigs will seek to knock you down. If they get you on the ground, it's not going to be good. They'll start from your legs until, well, you can think about what Stephen King might add to that and you could imagine it from there on out. And the swine are also reservoirs for at least 32 diseases including bovine tuberculosis and outbreaks of E. coli in spinach and lettuce that have been blamed on feral hogs defecating in farm fields. So this picture just gets bleaker and bleaker. And then This is also really interesting. It is estimated that annual population control efforts would need to continuously achieve 66 to 70 percent population reduction just to hold the wild pig population at its current level. Estimates from Texas indicate that with current control methods, that that reduction is only going to be 29 percent. So no single method approaches the scale necessary for the long-term effect on wild pig populations. Wow. But you see the point. So many things that had no evidence when John wrote Revelation in the first century. And I wonder when he wrote that, what he thought animals were going to be like and how they were going to overtake the beasts of the earth. Well, he probably didn't imagine that animals would have more rights than humans because that wasn't true when John was writing. So at that point in history, they actually considered people more important than pets. Well, we've had a drastic flip of that in our society. So you can see if the animal rights runs amok and there is the eradication of killing any animal for food or other reasons, there you go then the species can explode and we could be overtaken, which is just so bizarre to think about. 
But I've actually read other articles that wild boar are so abundant now on the outskirts of Rome that locals are afraid to walk their dogs and take their children to playgrounds. And that it's also happening in other cities in Europe, such as Berlin and Barcelona. So at first, I guess the sight of a boar and their little piglets sniffing out food was a quaint novelty, according to the article, has gone, of course, to becoming a downright menace. And people are now fearful because before they were just maybe aggressive toward dogs and that kind of thing. But now they're becoming aggressive toward people. So as the boar proliferates, Rome may have inadvertently come up with a partial solution, the article says, to the problem because wolves are now on the increase too. And they are increasingly encroaching on the periphery of the city. So the wolves are preying on livestock and they appear to be wolf-dog hybrids, which they're considered actually worse because they have that canine element in their genetic makeup, which isn't afraid of humans. So I don't know. Last I checked, wolves could be very dangerous too. So apparently this is happening all over the world that wolves have taken up as well. Residents in parts of suburban Germany and densely populated parts of Cambridge or in Newcastle. So the highest density of falcons anywhere in the world is New York. The second highest is London, and these birds of prey now breed in almost every major British city. And then there's wild deer that are rampaging through London and taking up residence from Nara in Japan to the Twin Cities in the U.S. So you can see where that mentality leads, something going from a novelty to a problem to a menace to a catastrophe where we once ruled and subdued the animal kingdom, left to this unbalanced view of creation where the animals have more rights than humans and the earth is worshipped instead of the God who made it, you can see how Revelation 6-8 would be plausible. Even the grizzly bear population. In 1975, there were 136 bears in Yellowstone. And in 2019, there are 728 of them. And I love bears. I really do. But I would prefer not to be attacked and taken out by a grizzly. Of course, this question and this speculation is up in the air. I don't know what the beasts of the earth are going to be. I'm just posing some theories, and I think it's interesting what's happening in the animal kingdom, if you will, at this point in history. But, you know, we do have a takeaway. Remember, we know what to do if attacked by feral pigs. But Christian... Christian, listen, challenge people who hold that godless worldview, and they are everywhere. Don't challenge in an unkind way, of course, but with love and grace. They need to see the creation, the animal world, nature through the lens of how God intended it to be viewed. It is meant to point them to him. So you are supposed to look at the majesty, for instance, of a waterfall and its beauty and say, that is incredible. And what an incredible God to have made it and to have made the eye to see in order to enjoy it. That's where it's supposed to direct us to that broader truth of what God has done. Animals are not to be worshipped. The earth is not to be worshipped. Enjoyed, yes. Worshipped, no. Only God is worthy of worship. So to end on the note of God's sovereignty, always, it's important to remember that he's in supreme control of the earth and everything contained therein. Psalm 50 
Verse 10 says, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills, including the birds of the air and his wonders in the deep. And I would add, and feral pigs. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.